Good morning, Dare Nate, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Surviving the Drive podcast. Today, we are discussing the Mexican Grand Prix. This is your favorite source of American-based F1 conversation, presented by me, Alex, and my co-host, Tyler. Let's race into it. What a banger of a song, and not so much a banger of a race. Yeah, I think you could say that it was the most boring race of the season so far. I think the expectations we had going into that were a lot higher, and I mean, it was just two hours of watching the cars go around in circles and not really any action at all. I think we thought we were going to see it with pit strategies and stuff, because you had people at the front starting on different tires, which we get into, but everyone pretty much one-stopped, and as a result of that, there really wasn't any chaos or drama everyone kind of got in drs trains and there really was no safety cars or any action outside of the normal race yeah i agree i think last year we had a really good race there and so we kind of had a little bit more expectations for on-track drama but we definitely had the off-track drama this weekend and i think there was a lot of scenes uh talking points outside of the actual race itself and obviously you know mexico just as a city getting behind checo perez is a great scene to watch and Obviously, the podium celebrations were a lot of fun, and uh, watching everything outside of the race was a lot of fun this weekend, but unfortunately, we didn't get all that hype on track. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and you know recap the race a little bit here. Obviously, there wasn't much to recap from the race itself, but we do, like Tyler said, have a lot of stuff off the track and some funny happenings to go over. So uh, we'll start by going through the finishing order of the race. So uh, on the podium, we had Max P1, Hamilton P2, and Perez P3, and then we had Russell, Sainz, Leclerc, Ricardo. Ocon, Norris, and Bottas rounding out the points. And then outside of the points, we had Gasly, Albon, Zoe, Vettel, Stroll, Mick, Magnussen, and Latifi. And then just two DNFs this weekend. The first uh, was Yuki Sonoda, who went off after having a collision with Daniel Ricciardo, which we'll get into shortly. And lastly was Fernando Alonso, who his engine blew up, and apparently it's only his engine this year. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that as well later in the episode, but yeah, apparently it's just... Just the guy who is uh, leaving on bad terms engine that's blowing up this season. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of give a quick recap of quality before we dive into the race. I think, you know, it's really kind of a standard quality uh, for the most part. I think we did see a little bit of a flip between Mercedes and Ferrari. I think you had Mercedes and Red Bull really the only two duking it out for actually pull this week and Ferrari kind of on the back foot in that 5-6 range, which was definitely interesting to see. It's the first time I think we've had that all season and. In the race, we've had that before, but in qualifying, you know, usually Ferrari's been on it, and Leclerc definitely has always been up there, and even Sainz has been hot in qualifying the last couple of weeks, but they were definitely off the pace in qualifying, and even Bottas was able to split them, so. Yeah, you would think their car would go well around that track, but it, it just seemed like their power unit wasn't able to keep up with everybody else's, and for that reason, and then also Leclerc was having some difficulties during qualifying, so they ended up starting uh, fifth and seventh, respectively. Yeah, so other than that, though, not... Not too much drama in qualifying. You know, you had your typical, you know, top three teams kind of taking up the front of the grid. And then 
And then you had Norris uh, and the Alpines kind of rounding out Q3 there with the only real surprise being Bottas splitting the Ferraris, as we said a little bit ago. But outside of that, it was pretty pretty low drama qualifying. And, you know, we had a few issues with, with track limits in certain areas with certain drivers. But outside of that, it pretty much was standard. Um, I think there are a lot of people hoping that the Mercedes had a chance for a pull this week, considering how the free practices went and just how pacey both of them looked, but didn't quite have enough and ended up being a small gap to max the top. Yeah, and even through Q2, they were looking really good. I think even in Q3, they had a really good shot looking at pole. You know, after looking at the history of the track and the history of the races, it almost looks like it's better for them to start off, you know, second row, yeah. third or fourth. And I think the past three years, third place has been the winner of that race. So uh, a lot of hype going into the race, a lot of hope uh, that they would be able to get past Max at the start. But uh, we ended up starting the race with the Mercedes on the mediums and Max on the softs and Perez uh, behind as well on the softs and not really getting what we what we had hoped for from the start there we ended up seeing Max kind of pull away from the beginning ended up keeping the lead into the first turn after the longest run down to turn one uh, the Mercedes just not able to get that slipstream like they were hoping yeah just George I think was able to kind of pull alongside Max at one point as they got into turn one but he didn't have enough speed to to get past him and I don't I don't think anyone thought that was going to happen once they were on the mediums and was starting on the slower tire uh, it was an interesting start, though, from the respect that, you know, Hamilton does sneak by Russell going through turns two and three, and then Perez actually gets by Russell, too. So it was a little bit tougher of a start for Russell starting from P2 and then falling back to P4. But other than that, they pretty much all slotted in. In terms of the rest of the field, you obviously had uh, McLaren's had a, a very terrible start. And then, you know, they fell back, both of them, a couple positions along with George. And then uh, for good starts, you had the the Alpines making up some ground, which they tend to have done this year, just, just have pretty great starts off the line. And then Stroll, another person that you know had a great start off the line, he got from very near the back of the grid front to back all the way up to P15, I believe. So he made up four or five spots. So a good start for him as well. But after that, we pretty much saw you know the rest of the grid settle in and kind of get in formation and get the DRS trains going. And everyone kind of slotted in in terms of you know, time intervals between the cars and that kind of stayed consistent through that first stint. Yeah, it was a pretty rough first stint. I think there was a lot of hope that the tire strategy was going to come into play. And then those two stops and those one stop differing strategy was kind of where the race drama was going to unfold. But, you know, we started seeing some people extending their stints, the, the degradation didn't end up being as bad as they were expecting. And so we saw some extensions, I think, something that was hopeful of, of creating a, a really entertaining race, but we didn't really get that too much. No. Yeah. It was, we, we saw very quickly that the tires were lasting longer than, than anyone thought the dig was virtually none, which was really weird to see. I, I feel like it's all they talked about was the strategy of being one versus two stop. And like, you know, the two stop, the people that started on the soft definitely having to stop twice. And I, I, I think right away we saw as soon as, the Red Bull started extending out and realizing they weren't really losing pace and they kept the gaps they needed to the Mercedes. They just kept on them and really extended the life of those. And then I think from that point, you know, you and I both said to ourselves that there's no way they're going to stop twice. They're just going to go soft to mediums. And that's what kind of started to go around the commentary box and what everyone was thinking. So, you know, obviously we had the soft runners come in much later than expected. And then only a few laps after that, the Mercs came in on the mediums, which was very interesting to see. I know they're obviously losing time to, to Max and Checo on the fresh mediums once they, you know, got back out there. But I think both Lewis and George wanted to stay out longer and felt like the tires were fine. And I thought they would have at that point adjusted to kind of mirror what Red Bull did, but the other side of it where they, you know, go really long in the mediums and then go for softs at the end to make a push. But 
four or five laps after the Red Bulls came in, they came in for hards. Yeah, it was definitely a thought. And I know George was even on the radio asking for softs at the end, but Mercedes just didn't think that that would be able to to last that long and uh, weren't willing to gamble with it being in the top four. So they ended up bringing them in. However, this whole time, Hamilton was really sticking on the back of Max, kind of the similar aspect of what we saw in Austin. You know, Hamilton just having really good pace and able to to kind of stick within that toe of Max without DRS, which was really impressive to see. Yeah, I think it was another another great drive for him. It was definitely one of those ones where I, Perez was able to sort of keep pace with Hamilton because he was on the quicker tire at the beginning, but you did really see it was very similar to last year where Max and Lewis just pulled way out from everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Lewis was able to keep within one to two seconds of Max pretty much the entire first stint while Max was on the quicker tire. So that was definitely weird to see because, you know, they did have a very clear Red Bull had a very clear advantage on the straights in terms of speed and we have, you know, the longest straight of the season, obviously. But yeah, Lewis kept pace and I think that's where it was a little confusing why they brought him in so early and didn't try to extend it because he was keeping pace and wasn't too far off. So I think that's where a lot of people would say maybe maybe Merck got it wrong, but it it kind of totally wiped out tire strategy at that point once you know, everyone started coming in, it's like, oh, this is just gonna be a one stop race for everybody. Which is definitely, I don't know, I know that was Pirelli's goal this season, and there have been talks about it every track, but I feel like this is the first, you know, real race we've had this season where I was like, oh yeah, this is an easy one stop, like there's going to be no problem at all. Yeah, it was It was also difficult for each team because they didn't get the FP2 running that they were expecting because they ended up doing some Pirelli tire testing again, yeah. uh, which didn't really give as many teams kind of that look into the mediums and the tire wear that they were going to be able to, to kind of hold throughout the race, so... That kind of threw a wrench in, in some of the strategy plans, but yeah, obviously the best team, uh, best strategy ended up winning in the end, and, and uh, Red Bull was able to take that gamble and, and go long at the end there. But more towards the beginning, before some of the pit stops, we saw Stroll and Gasly fighting on track, and Gasly kind of ran off wide and, and took uh, Stroll with him, and Gasly really getting picked on by the FIA and ended up getting uh, another penalty and a couple more points on his license. Yeah, he's up to 11 points down the season, so... And I know it's not, it's like it's 11 points for a year. So I think they said in the broadcast that he wouldn't have one point fall off until May of next year. So basically between now and May of next season, if he gets one more penalty points, he's going to have to miss a race, which I feel like is pretty rare to happen. But yeah, it's been, he's been getting really picked on the last couple of races and had a tough couple of races in terms of penalties uh, with the FIA. Yeah, obviously you'll have that, you know, winter break and, and off season span. So the May timeline might seem a little quicker while we're doing these, you know, back to backs and, and triple headers. But yeah. He'll have a little bit of a breather and then hopefully able to start off next year at Alpine pretty cleanly without having a race ban. But we'll keep a close eye on that, and I'm sure that the stewards will do the same as they have been the past few races. First Red Bull pitter was uh, Sergio Perez, who came in and really unfortunate his home race. He ended up having a, a pretty slow stop, was about five seconds, and that kind of dropped him behind George and, and made him have to fight for the rest of the race. Yeah, definitely another bad pit stop from Red Bull after what happened with Max last week, too. So that was definitely interesting to see because, you know, all season and for years now, they've always been the best at it, I would think, in terms of pit in terms of uh, pit stops. But I think, yeah, it was just it was tough to see. It was was one of those ones where it's like, like, of course, he's like just getting unlucky here and getting a slow pit stop at his home race. And as a result of that, yeah, he ended up having a a battle Russell. But I think you and I both like as soon as that happened, it was like, all right, this kind of like any chance he might have had it a win, like this kind of puts that out of the picture. 
Yeah, definitely. And with Max doing pretty well, and obviously, like you said, those top two are starting to pull away. It looked like an easy lock for, you know, top four and and potentially probably able to make it past George Russell, who, who didn't seem like he had too much of the pace uh, no. during the race, especially, and uh, was, was starting to have some struggles with the graining on there. But Perez obviously able to make it back past Russell eventually after that pretty poor stop. Yeah. Uh, during this time, though, I mean, we had Sir, uh, Sebastian Vettel and Guan Yu Zhou and Daniel Ricciardo doing really long stints. We had Vettel going 38 on the softs and Zhou and Ricciardo each doing 47 on the mediums. And that kind of put the thought in your head that, that Red Bull might just go to the end here and not give up that extra 20, 24 seconds that a pit stop would cause. Yeah, I mean, they did all the legwork for Red Bull, basically. Like, they just, you know, Vettel going 38 in the softs um, showed that, oh, if they, like, if he can go 30 on the softs, why can't we go by the time they pit, you know, 50 on the mediums or whatever? Mm-hmm. And then Ricardo did it, then confirmed that when he went 47 laps in the mediums uh, in Zoe 2. So they kind of did the le- the legwork for Red Bull there, and that was like a definitely indicator, like, oh, if Ricardo can make these laps or make these tires last for 47 laps, like we should definitely get 40 something out of them with Max with Checo. So, like, it was it was a smart play on their part, their part. And I think in, in the back of my head, and I think the, commentary box too they thought well maybe they'll still pit again because max is so quick but as a lap every lap that went by i was like this is just not gonna happen and then yeah. when i got to like 20 laps left i'm like there's no there's no point like they wouldn't be to make the gap up at this point anyway so yeah i was kind of holding out hope that they would end up pitting and we kind of see what we saw last year with somebody on the charge to the to the man in yeah. front and uh was hoping it'd be a little bit different than last week where hamilton might have some life left in his tires and be able to really fight with the hards but we didn't end up seeing that. We uh, we did see Ocon defending quite a few battles uh, really well. He ended up coming out on kind of the middle of the turn a few times yeah. uh, at the after the run down to turn one, and he looked pretty good this weekend. Yeah, he had a good weekend. He definitely was, you know, one of the better defensive drivers. He, they kept talking about those moves at the in that first sector where he would pull to the middle of the track, and it basically would be impossible to get by. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he had some good defending there, and I think he kind of held his own. It was more entertainment for us in a race that wasn't very entertaining to see him try to fend off uh, the different drivers he was, you know, interacting with at the time. And it, he definitely saw, you know, a lot of action during the race more than probably any other driver. So, yeah, definitely saw a pretty good race from him. And another racer we saw uh, really good moves out of was Daniel Ricardo. And unfortunately, during this time in the race, uh, he was starting to charge back up and had Sonoda in front of him and was getting just a little bit too impatient and made a pretty poor choice, pretty poor lunge up the inside off of a kind of a double right-hander, no real opportunity to come alongside him and uh, really just ran Sonoda off the road. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know I know that the double right-hander dive bomb all too well from the F1 game, right? Like, we're you, you're always trying to pull that off. I definitely – I do the same thing. You get you just get the nose. If you even get the nose one inch on their back tire, you're putting it up in there and bouncing them off and just taking the place. But that's exactly what Ricardo did. It was it was hilarious to watch because it literally looked like something that someone would try in a game with like no damage on, and he just like went for it. Yeah, it was so late he had no business going for it at all, and just dove in and then ended Sonoda's race as a result of it and got a 10 second time penalty. And I think everyone's like, oh, here we go. Like he had a real chance at points here, and like he was just too impatient, and now he's gonna fall and finish. P15 and like just a continued disastrous season but that was obviously not the case after that happened he you know gets a 10 second penalty and uh you know but seal fights his way through the field with the with the quicker tires and makes it work and he pulls a 10 second gap in the end of Ocon to the penalty was you know worthless at that point yeah he really turned it on after that and 
you know, Sonoda went over his tire and then ended up having to retire there from going off and had some damage on his side pod, which was interesting. It made you think uh, what damage is Ricardo running with now. And yeah, uh, it takes you back to Perez losing those bits and then going faster because Ricardo yeah. was just looking brilliant after that and was able to really rely on the car going forward and, and able to make some obviously cleaner moves uh, after that point in the race. <laughs> So as Alonso was coming up on on back into the points, uh, getting through some Alpines, we saw Alonso just kind of have his engine blow up on him. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, it, he did. I know they started talking about that. He, he clearly had pace problems, like, and he was having an issue because he really started to fall back in pace, and he was losing like seconds a lap. Yeah, and he just started getting swallowed up by everyone and passed. Um, so I think either way, he would have fell to the back. But then, yeah, going down the straight at the end of the straight, just puff of smoke and engine done. Um, you know, as an, as a noted non-fan of Alonzo, um, it was, it was a little funny to see him get out of his car and throw like a little baby tantrum when his car stopped working. He was quite upset. And then wave to the fans after he threw this tantrum. Um, and then we'll obviously get into later, like what he said after the race, but, um, it was funny, like how, how it all happened where he's like, you know, you gotta be kidding me. What a year, what a year. And then it just blows up and nothing for him again when, I mean, he was going to be on for a couple of points anyway, so I don't really know how much of a difference it would have made. It would have been a one or two point as O'Connor was going to get past him and Ricardo was going to get past him anyway, so it would have been ninth at the best that he was going to get, so two points. But, yeah, it was it was tough for him, too, at the same time, like another unlucky race where he has his engine blown up. And, I mean, the Alpines have been right up there with the Ferraris. It's just so unreliable. Yeah, and you could definitely tell something was very wrong when – Ocon and then Ricardo just kind of followed Ocon past him and he was just falling way behind and then yeah obviously ended up having not the greatest exit from the race but uh, made it off nonetheless and then just kind of coasted into the end we had uh, a virtual safety car there and nothing really eventful happening there and then uh, Verstappen ended up winning the race and uh, taking home the uh, new record for amount of wins in a season and then we had Perez coming home in third, getting his second home podium, and then obviously Hamilton coming in in second. Yeah, so it ended up being the, the exact same podium as last year, but obviously in a much more boring fashion this year than we had last year, which was a little difficult. But yeah, it's overall, it's just, you know, not the greatest race, very uneventful. Uh, Ricardo was about the only thing that you, you had that caused a little bit of drama and chaos, but there really wasn't much other than that. So definitely a a disappointing race. Yeah, I'd say, you know, even with a boring race, there were still some standout performances. And with that, you know, we can go ahead and highlight a few of those. And I'll go ahead and start. And Hamilton was on my top three list again this week. And just a great performance from him all around, able to really hook up that Mercedes this weekend and, and utilize kind of the power unit. I don't know if that was uh, because of the kind of the air pressure that they were talking about a lot this weekend yeah. and, and how the combustion engine utilizes those things but he was looking really good and had a, a really good qualifying session was looking good all weekend and able to really stick on max and then potentially have the win if the strategy didn't play out how it did uh, just a, a really hooked up performance from him and he has now the third most points since canada which yeah. is a really impressive run only max and charles above him which uh, is you know quite the tier of drivers to be fighting with yeah i definitely think that's the, one of the more impressive stats i heard this weekend was you know, him being above the above signs and above Perez, you know, clearly Red Bull and Ferrari have had better cars the whole season. And so for him to have the third most points since, you know, Canada has been definitely really impressive and he's been on form since then. And it's just unfortunate they haven't been able to take that full step with, with the Mercedes to like get it to where it can 
on pure pace keep up with the top two teams. Yeah, and it sounds like they have you know something hooked up for next year that that they're going to be able to take that step yeah. from from what it's from what I'm hearing from what a lot of the people uh, in the sport are hearing and in the paddock are hearing. They're looking pretty solid for next year and, and able to figure some things out. So hopefully they'll be able to get up there and fight for some wins and uh, not let Red Bull run away with another victory. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll go into my first driver here. So I had Ricardo. Um, he could have been in the mass performance of the week potentially after the incident with Sonoda. It was looking very, very grim. But, you know, great strategy from McLaren this weekend for him. And he just looked really pacey, as, you know, after that incident and was able to provide a lot of entertainment in a very boring race and got past all kind of cars and, you know, including the doing the finger gun at Ocon as he's going down the straight to pass him. So, he just had fun out there and got past everybody and had a P7 finish, which was big for him and um, good points for the team and good points for the for their for their battle with Alpine for uh, fourth in the constructors. Yeah, like you said, I think in such a boring race, he got a lot of airtime and yeah. really looked like he was on fire and he was just catching up to driver after driver there at the end on his new soft. So uh, a really good race from him, able to dispatch a lot of those cars pretty quickly and really make a good inroads on some points from Alpine and actually have, you know, a pretty solid performance after what he was thinking was going to be a pretty horrid end of the season. Yeah, for sure. I think it was, it was good to see they, they kind of talked about it, you know, when he was uh, on his end lap after the race, but just because of like uh, blue flags and like where the field was, those, those top six or really top four were kind of at a point where they're lapping everybody. And so just because of pits and how it worked out and everything you had, those guys in seven through 10, 11, including Ricardo kind of getting to get in the way of some of them. And I know he just looked like they talked about in, in general, you could see that he looked pacey compared to those top teams anyways on the soft. So it just, like we talked about, provided some more action at the end and gave a little bit of life to the end of the race. And I think that's what everybody was really looking at is everything kind of settled in. And I was like, well, the only thing left to decide is, is he going to get a 10 second gap to Ocon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely had something to fight for there at the end. Uh, I'll go into my next uh, driver of the weekend was Sergio Perez. Hard to miss a home race driver, and uh, he was getting a lot of press and a lot of, uh, you know, he had a lot of difficulties to overcome in the race after having a, a not the greatest stop uh, and, you know, starting from fourth on the grid there. He had quite the lineup in front of him to get past, and he was able to to get through Russell and had a good strategy and able to make it to the end on those mediums. and. Uh, overall, really fun weekend from him. Loved the celebrations uh, again with his family. And yeah. A lot of class shown uh, telling his home fans not to boo Hamilton, which is something I don't think we see a lot, but a very classy move by him and his family and uh, a lot of fun to see him succeed with Red Bull. Yeah, this is a really positive weekend for him. I know he obviously would have wanted to win, but uh, you know, just a consistent weekend, was able to get on the podium again, and I think it's just always a fun time while he's there, and it's just a great atmosphere, so... Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll go ahead and go into my last was Alexander Albon, who obviously not in the points, but still a really strong showing from him. Started down in 19th, uh, had a pretty decent start, and then able to finish up in 12th. Uh, you know, had some pretty solid overtakes. Uh, his strategy helped him a little bit with that, but in the end, able to, to have a pretty good run up closer to the points, ho- probably hoping for some carnage up front or, or even, you know, just ahead of him in the points. And uh, the Alonzo DNF helped a little bit with that, but still still a good run from him and uh, showing a lot of form compared to his teammate who was down at the last of the finishers. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good weekend for him, I think. You know, and he wasn't that, it's worth noting, he wasn't that far off of the points. He was only two or three seconds behind yeah. uh, Bottas for 10th. So 
Uh, but yeah, going to my other two drivers, one of them I did have was uh, Valtteri Bottas. I think he finally got that, you know, he finally got that point, right? He finally, he had been stuck on 46 points for so long. I don't know how long it's been. I, I want to say like Canada or somewhere around there was the last time he scored. Um, but it's been a long time since he scored any points. Um, it's been a tough second half of the year for Alfa Romeo. And so for him to get, have a great weekend, you know, qualify uh, in P6 and then finish, you know, it kind of out qualify his car and then sticking it in the points, um, a great weekend for him. Yeah, definitely. It's been a rough, I feel like end of the season, I guess second half of the season, I think back to the beginning of the season and a lot of these teams were able to capitalize on those top six drivers having you know, engine difficulties and, and dropping yeah. out of the race, having DNFs. And now it's kind of coming down to, is Alpine going to have difficulties? And it really seems like a lot of those teams have figured out kind of their troubles with their reliability. Yeah. And, and now the bottom few teams are really scraping for points. So good for him to get up into the points and, uh, you know, have a, hopefully a good end of the season as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and the last driver I had was Max. I think, you know, just, uh, it's kind of easy to pick him every week, but it's, Another great weekend from him, you know, uh, puts it on pole, uh, wins the race, uh, you know, great, good strategy call by Red Bull. He executed it. He kept his pace the entire time. Uh, he had great tire management, which I know they were talking about in, uh, in the commentary booth about, you know, people always talk about how good Perez is and all these other people are at tire management, never Max, but he had great tire management this weekend and uh, just had a great race overall. And, you know, with along with that, breaks the record for most points in the season, most wins in the season, so... Definitely a, a great weekend for him. Yeah, he ha- he hasn't been too bad this year. I mean, no, you know, pretty solid. And <laughs> yeah, he's been well, pretty solid. You know, he's able to get to 14 wins, which is you know pretty good, I guess. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, not a bad weekend from him. No, definitely not. And I mean, yeah, 14 wins, not terrible. Just it, it, a decent a decent turnout for this season. Yeah, definitely on form. Uh, another really great drive from him, and finally able to show that he's able to hold on to some tires, even though you know a lot of the grid did it. He was able to, to kind of highlight that being in first. And so, uh, another good characteristic to add to his driver abilities. Yeah, that was one. There was one funny point with that though, isn't there talking about it in the box and I'll get into my thoughts on, on my boy James from F1 TV, but he kept saying, he's like, I think Max is just, I think he's doing this and like staying long, like just to, just to prove to people he can like make tires last. I'm like, I think he's just trying to win the race the best strategy. I don't think he's trying to prove it to anyone that he can make tires last, but we'll get into We'll get into my thoughts on James later. Um, but speaking of Max and Red Bull, uh, in terms of team highlights for the weekend, I feel like we had them listed every weekend, but I mean, a double podium finish again, they just are almost a virtual lock to be a double podium finish. It seems like, yeah. Um, just a great weekend from them. Uh, another clean weekend. They're probably going, they haven't quite yet, but they're probably going to break unless they just DNF the rest of the way. They're going to break the most points for constructors in the season and obviously have a huge gap to the rest of the field. So another great weekend from Red Bull. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you're the big McLaren guy here, but I, I no. will go ahead and throw McLaren. You let me know that all the time. <laughs> I sure do. But, you know, McLaren had a great weekend this weekend yeah. and a really fun stat that I want to point out is just they were one and two on pit stops this weekend. Really hooked up as a team. Yeah. With Daniel Ricardo had the first sub two second fast pit stop one of the, of the season. season. Yeah. A really good weekend from them. Able to to pick up a decent strategy and, and get both their drivers up in the points. And uh, it's always good when Ricardo finishes on top to to give that team a little bit of a boost. They yeah. know they're doing something right. Uh, just because of his kind of lack of pace this season. But really good race. For him, Norris was probably hoping for a little bit more, but after a rough start, he was able to, to salvage the race pretty well. 
Yeah, and I think that yeah, just a big weekend for them. They closed the gap to seven points now to Alpine with two races left. So that's you know anybody's game pretty much. Yeah, and I feel like we keep going. And I distinctly remember an interview with uh, someone on Alpine. I forget who it was. Someone on the team talking about like their outlook for risk scoring the rest of the way. And the guy basically said he's like, "We have the better car. Like we're quicker." And I feel like we keep hearing that every weekend. But they keep having liability issues, or they just don't perform the race. And McLaren just keeps hanging there and getting more points than them. So. I do think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out the last two races, but um, it's definitely definitely was a great weekend for McLaren. Um, and then the other team we have is Mercedes. I mean, obviously they would have they would have wanted to win and maybe a little bit more here, but you know P two and P four, uh, second highest constructor in terms of scoring. They've closed that gap to Ferrari now to forty points, which I know is still a tall order with two races left. But the fact they're even within forty points based on how the season started and the level of car they have compared to Ferrari is very impressive and. You know, like we talked about, Hamilton looked great on pace. He kept with Max the entire time, and I think it's just a good positive step for them, which is kind of what they're going for these last couple races, is just getting momentum into next year. Yeah, you know, the one point that we can bring up is, you know, even Mattia Bonato was saying that they get criticized for strategy all the time, and it was Mercedes this weekend that lost the race. And yeah. I agree a little bit, you know, they obviously weren't able to, to make that jump like Red Bull was and, and push those mediums as far as they could really go. But at the same time, you know, it was really tough. It was early in the race. It was looking like Red Bull were going to be a two stop. So at the same time as them having in hindsight lost the race, yeah. I think they made probably the right call at the time. And, uh, you know, and unfortunate that they're not able to get the win here, but obviously looking like a great team and really hoping that if they can't get it this season, then Next season, they'll come out swinging. Yeah, but was saying that was kind of funny, too, because, like, I don't know why. Like, I, I get no one talked about it, and they, but, like, Ferrari's just a meme team. Like, all their mess-ups this year have been meme Like, they've been, like, funny, like, stupid mess-ups, like, just, like, bizarre strategies. This Mercedes one was just, like, it just didn't work out. It was just a wrong call, but it wasn't, like, a – it's not like they, like, they, like, you know, had the lead of the race by this thing and then, like, brought someone in for an extra pit stop or, like, did anything, like, weird or stupid or had, like, a, like a bad pit stop. Like, they just – made one simple wrong call. So like, it was funny hearing him saying that. I'm like, dude, you can't, you're not going to be able to escape the memes from this. Like you, you, you are Ferrari. Like this is who you are. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily a Mercedes beating themselves. Like yeah. Ferrari has done so many times. It was, you know, they just got beat simply yeah. on track and, uh, and in strategy. So yeah, not a bad race by Mercedes, but just the pure pace of that car and the way that they've been able to, to kind of continue their progress with that car has yeah. been really impressive. And, uh, lands them a spot in the, the team highlights this week yeah they definitely had the i would say you definitely could make the argument and i think it's pretty clear that they've had the biggest progression from the beginning of the season to the end in terms of teams across the board uh, obviously you know ferrari and red bull and red bull particular have been dominant the whole season but they've always been in that place whereas mercedes i think that gap was so big at the beginning of the season and it's slowly they've climbed their way back into it um in terms of overtake highlights uh we have listed down here what overtakes because there really weren't any um you know, the only person that really had any was Ricardo, and then obviously the one where he tried to overtake Sonoda and should not have done that at all. But weren't a ton of overtake highlights this weekend. I know Ricardo had a couple good ones. I mean, the, the best one was the finger gun one, where I mean, I know it's just down a straight, but him going down a straight, middle of a Formula One race at 200 something miles per hour and taking one hand off the wheel and doing a finger gun at Ocon like he's five years old playing a video game was so funny. Yeah, really just having fun with himself. And I think that kind of mentality is what gave him the pace this weekend. It yeah. almost seemed like he was, you know, he knows that the rest of this way, the rest of this season is going to be kind of difficult. And yeah. so he was able to just kind of let loose and have some fun. And it really paid off for him. And uh, 
that's just such a great highlight for us yeah. as fans to watch and, and just hilarious. I think, you know, not a lot of overtakes where there was overtakes was the long straight and not entertaining overtakes. No. I guess you would say so. Uh, pretty boring race in that aspect, but uh, we got it elsewhere, which we'll start to get into here shortly. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and move over to more of our segments to end the podcast here. So, uh, obviously, everyone's favorite segment, the mass performance of the week. Um, the I don't know how many time champion now. I think every week, except for one week, he's been the champion because the only week he didn't was when he got points. I think it was Japan when he got points. Yeah. Um, where I think, I think we gave it to signs maybe that week because he had the spin out. I don't even remember. It doesn't matter, though. Uh, your returning winner, Nicholas Atifi, once again taking it home. Um, you know, qualifies P20, finishes last of the finisher, finishers in 18th, is the only driver to finish two laps down. And I think the most, the worst thing was, I don't even realize this uh, until I like actually started like at the end of the race being like, all right, well, what else is going on in here since there's not much going on the, in the top of the field? At one point, with like, I don't know, it was in the last stint for everybody, he was. Magnuson was in 17th, and Latifi was 52 seconds behind him in 18th. 52 seconds was the, the interval gap between them, which obviously ended up finishing two outs behind. But it's we talk about it every week, and it's just a joke at this point, but it's like nearing dangerous levels where he's like, he's so slow. Like, why is he even out there? Like, I get sometimes things happen and stuff, but like him being 52 seconds behind 17th and finishing two laps down and the only one to finish two laps down is – just so tough. You know, if nothing else, he's incredibly consistent. Yes. And uh, really shooting for the title here of the Massey Performance of the Week. We see, you know, last year Vettel and Raikkonen duking it out for the, the amount of overtakes. And it really feels like uh, Latifi is just making a real strong push here at the end of the season to, to take this Massey Performance of the Week title this year. I mean, he's going to, it's going to be hard for someone ever to dethrone the number of wins he has. This is, yeah. I mean, this is, a, this it, is 15, 16, even 17 win territory right 17 now. 17 win territory, yeah, for a season. This is that equivalent. This It's that impressive. He's that impressively bad. Um, and then in terms of the team this weekend, very easily Haas. Just a terrible weekend. Both of them out in Q3 or Q1. Um, both of them making no progress during the race, actually losing positions or staying the same. You had Mick finishing 16th and Magnuson finishing 17th. Absolutely no pace. Um, I mean... We've talked about it, but they've just uh, they other than that weird one off they had in Austria where they finished both in the points. They've just been completely dead since the beginning of the season. Um, just no pace at all. Just like the old Haas of last year, where it's just always at the back of the order. Uh, it 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 really was. This week on this big last, I know Albon ended up making up for it in the race, but in terms of qualifying and just like in the initial start of the race. It was big 2021 vibes. Just seeing the double H's and the double W's at the end of the order from eight or 17, 18, 19, 20. Seeing those Haas and Williams logos just down at the bottom the entire time. Just so classic. And, yeah, just a horrible weekend from Haas. Nowhere. I don't, I don't, I don't even remember seeing Mick or Magnuson even on screen at all. Yeah, I think K-Mag had one or two overtakes at the beginning of the race, and he was looking good, but just couldn't get anything going. And, and Mick kind of the same way. Uh, it really, you know, it, it reminds me of the point that I made earlier. Just they have not been able to take advantage of anything that's happened. And part of that is because not a lot of carnage has happened at the in the front since the beginning of the season. But in this new gen of cars, you know, we had a lot of hope for them going into this season after that first race. And 
it's kind of slowly faded away and yeah the same with you know some of these other teams Aston Martin comes to mind especially and uh, really hoping that the extra wind tunnel time and kind of those kinds of allocations that the sport's moving into will help them start to close that gap and uh, hoping for a better start next year but I think it's it's kind of just going to be a drag until the the end of the season here yeah they should give Red Bull's lost time they got for the penalty to to Hoster Williams or somebody just to beef them up even more yeah um so let's go ahead and go into uh, I guess quick track thoughts the we played at the beginning of the episode the Mexican rendition of Def One theme song was was awesome that was, was so sick. It was an awesome surprise for it just to pop up when they did it at the intro, and it sounded great. Other than that, I mean, the race stunk this year, so like, not a lot of track thoughts. It's a good track, but I just think the race stunk this year. You know, the the song gives me a lot of thought back to our first podcast on Baku and how much I love the no, national no anthem. No one loves that national anthem more than you. And, and it really makes me kind of sad. It almost seems like a missed opportunity to have these kinds of hometown flavors on the f1 theme song oh yeah every week they could do it and it seems it's difficult because a lot of the you know national anthems are are just kind of vanilla you know pretty plain but spicing up the f1 f1 theme song just really gives you it really gets you in that sense of the track and kind of the atmosphere around it and, and i absolutely loved it another point that i wanted to make about the track itself is just that this is you know one of the only races where we take into account where in the world it is you know the the high altitude and the thin air really plays a role on the engines and we saw a lot of that kind of talk between each of the teams and how well those engines were running and we saw a lot of that with how consistent each individual was with their teammate and how much that kind of played into really the the race itself and and how much those power units were able to be pushed yeah for sure definitely was a, an interesting thing for this weekend. I know that for me, it was interesting to see how they had the high downforce setups, but yeah. then they, the average top speed will be the highest of the highest of the season, just because of how thin the air is. And just because of the way it is being that high above sea level was definitely really interesting to see. Yeah. It's a very interesting dynamic that we kind of get a look into because it's such an international yeah. sport. And, and that's, you know, just another reason why I think we love and yeah. a lot of the fans love formula one. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and get into our predictions now. Uh, so, uh, for pre-quality predictions, um, I had Max on pole as my first one. Uh, I am going to pick that for the rest of the season. I'm going to pick that all of next year until somebody proves different that they can take pole, but I'm just going to always pick Max on pole because it's just an easy pick, and he was on pole this week, so I got that one right. Uh, but that is the only one I got right the entire weekend. Uh, so, the other prediction I had, which I got conned into by you, was that both Alpines out in Q3. So, I tried to explain to Tyler what I really was trying to go for here is like, because he took one of one of my potential pre-quality predictions. I so I was like, all right, I'll just pick some random. My, my original text to him was some random person to make it into Q3, which I should have been more specific and listed all the people. But like those of you listening, I was just going for like a Lance Stroll or like a Vettel or like a Sonoda, somebody that usually doesn't get into Q3 to get into Q3, but then he conned me into that's a little weak, and so I ended up just getting coerced into doing alpines both alpines out not just one both of them out into q not making it into q3 which they were ninth and tenth so like they were on the edge but to be fair i was trying to get you to spice it up a little i myself spiced up my own predictions i think you know it's something that we need to reach a little bit for yeah and i felt that that you had some grit left in you to give for that next prediction yeah i went way too gritty with it though so so you know i think alpine out of q3 kind of 
straighten that prediction. It up could be and, possible. I think. I mean, I don't know if it was last week. Within the last few races, they were both out in Q two at one point. So. And they were looking absolutely horrible. Yeah, they looked terrible. This all weekend. free practice. Yeah. So. Uh, not a bad one, unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I guess fortunate for them, but yeah. unfortunate for the prediction there. Uh, the one I spiced up was Mercedes. I initially had top five, ended up moving it to top four. Good call. And that one worked out pretty well. They ended up top three, actually. So I should have coursed you into Lewis Polis. I should have done. Yeah, wasn't going to go for that yeah. one, though. But uh, a pretty solid one there. And then Bottas in Q3. Yeah, that was going to be mine, too. As soon as you texted me, I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like, that was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. But, he was looking good all weekend. Yeah. Uh, ended up having a pretty solid race and uh, able to split the Ferraris, which was really impressive. It was impressive. really impressive. Yeah, really impressive. Uh, so moving into the race, I had Max Hamilton Perez on the podium Nailed in that it. order. Boom, boom, boom. I had Mercedes leading after lap one, which you know I had a lot of hope for, and I think a lot of people had a lot of hope for. I thought for George him. could get it. Yeah, I thought he could get ahead of him for one lap at least. But And my thinking was, even if it's Perez that gets passed, I'm still happy. You know, Checo, I'm a big Checo fan. Uh, home race, Checo in the lead would be unbelievable to see. Uh, so I was really excited to see just some change in that order, yeah. a little bit of fight, because I knew Max would be able to come back anyway. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't see anything like that. Yeah. So uh, missed out on that one. And then the next one was Alpine outscores McLaren, which was so close. Yeah. And then Alonzo's engine blew, and Ricardo started blowing by everybody. Yeah. So Big uh, Alpine guy. Rough one, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Rough one there, but yeah. uh, hitting the podium makes up for it there, yeah. I think. Uh, so for me, got all these wrong. Podium, I'll cut myself a little slack. I did have all the drivers right, but I had Max Press Lewis. I just thought the Red Bull would, would be so much better than the Mercedes in the actual race that Perez would get past Lewis and kind of like make an improvement off last year with the home race, but pretty close there, not terrible. And then I had two safety cars. That was just a hope. I was hoping we'd have two safety cars. Not even close. One VSC, but I mean, that was a weak VSC. It wasn't really even a VSC. It was like a lap or two. So not even close there. Norris top seven. Uh, if they would have given him the strategy Ricardo had, he would have been top seven. But, I mean, it didn't. It just didn't work out. He, he got ninth, which isn't terrible, but the top seven prediction, I that's another one that's a consistent like max pull prediction for me where it's like, all right, well, the top six are going to be the top six. Maybe one of them falls out. That's why my thinking always is, and like who's going to pick up the pieces is usually Norris. That's why I went with that. But just a tough weekend of predictions. Yeah, not a, not a bad prediction. Norris top seven there. He was looking pretty solid in, in qualifying, but after a pretty rough start to the to yeah. the race, he wasn't able to make it up, and you know Ricardo came flying by, which didn't help his odds there. Uh, let's go ahead and move into standing changes real quick. Not too much to mention here. Uh, I think the biggest one is Hamilton getting above signs in that five six yeah. battle hamilton ends up taking fifth place and really just showing what that mercedes has been able to improve on throughout this year yeah and i mean that's just so tough for signs one he's been had a lot of dnfs uh a mix of his own fault and ferrari just engine failing or you know cut, catching on fire like he did in austria but it's if you would have told me like the gap between them for most of the season was so big 80 90 points something like that especially at the beginning, the fact that you, we could have, and there's a good chance we're going to have the Mercedes in, in the both in the top five and one of the Ferraris on the outside for the way the season started with that Ferrari 1-2 is wild to think about. Yeah, definitely. And it's also worth noting that Hamilton's now only 15 points behind George Russell, which yeah. after the beginning of the season, Mr. Consistency has uh, hit a little bit of a slump. Still, yeah. It's still his top five self. and. Uh, really able to to hook it up every weekend, but Hamilton's been on a charge of podium since then. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. So it could definitely interesting something to watch for with obviously with the drivers being decided already. You know, that battle for P two with Charles and Perez with uh Perez getting ahead now after that race and then uh just really that top six in general, them duking it out the rest of the way to see who finishes four, five, and six and then who's finishing second. Um, other than that we really have everything straight now. I think the you know, the other thing we had on potentially was that for the best of the rest, but you know, with Ocon down 29 points with two races left with the amount of points they're fighting for, unless he somehow wins a race, it's going to be impossible to make that ground up. So I think Norris locked that up, but uh, yeah, definitely something to look forward to in terms of the standings. And then also just worth mentioning, like we said earlier, you know, Mercedes only 40 points behind Red Bull now is kind of wild to think about too. And if Red Bull have, or if uh, Mercedes 40 points behind Ferrari, excuse me, if Ferrari have a, a couple DNFs or something happened at the end and, you know, let's say you have some Mercedes magic to end the season, they could finish P2 in the constructors, which is also insane. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And a really good run of form for them recently. Yeah. And, uh, Ferrari's been slipping more and more. Uh, I think it's worth noting all of the battles up and down the team standings. We have, obviously, Red Bull way blowing everybody out of the water. Yeah. Ferrari and Mercedes, like you said, a 40-point difference there. Alpine and McLaren only have seven points between the two. McLaren's trailing right now, and uh looking pretty good so so potentially a good race for them we'll see if the alpines are able to use their straight line speed at brazil which will probably be a pretty yeah uh, which is a pretty quick circuit so we'll see uh and then alfa romeo and aston martin have only four points between them aston martin chasing and i think aston martin have been kind of the car that looked to get in the points more the second half of the season obviously alfa romeo got yeah one this weekend but hasn't looked like uh, a form that they're going to be able to continue yeah. And then just below that, Haas and Alfatari only have a one-point difference with Haas being on top there. And obviously not fighting for too many points, but it takes one Gasly point finish for, for that to change, for yeah. that to tie, to flip, for uh, all that money to, to go. Or be yeah, it's a lot of money. Every, every spot is a good, good, decent amount of money that you're either gaining or losing. So definitely, definitely interesting to see. Um, and to finish up here, we're going to go through paddock talk and funny happenings kind of all in one because it kind of all meshes together this week. Um, so quick, quick hit on the one we've already talked about. The Ricardo finger guns to Ocon was definitely one of the funnier moments of the weekend in, in terms of the race itself. Um, just a guy that's having fun out there, and the, the video of it is funny. And I, I, he definitely, that's one of those moments where he knew, he's like, ah, this is going to go everywhere after I do this. Yeah, and it was a, a lot of fun, like we said, to see him just kind of channel his younger self and have some fun with the race. So a yeah. lot of fun there. Uh, one paddock rumor that we'll we'll touch on real quick. Obviously, if you haven't checked out our most recent and first ever YouTube video, please uh, go check that out yeah. and let us know your thoughts. We gave some of our more detailed opinions on the cost cap scandal that is uh, haunting Red Bull at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but we did have an official decision on that. Would you like to enlighten everybody? Yeah, so we ended up getting uh, Red Bull is going to get a 10% reduction in wind tunnel time. Uh, which is, I think, a little lower than we maybe thought it was going to be, but still a heavy hit. And I know Horner was talking about he probably over-exaggerated as any team principal would, but he was talking about how big of a hit that is, and that's definitely the most important piece of it that's going to affect them next year. Uh, and then they also got a $7 million fine addition to that, but that's not going to come out of the cost cap for next year, which I thought was a little weird. I think that should they should, whatever the fine was going to be, they should have to pay that out of next year's cost cap and have that much less money too. But I think... The, in terms of punishment, like my thoughts on it, I think it kind of fell in the middle in terms of what I like. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, they just gave him a slap on the wrist and that's it. 
but it also wasn't like fully what I think a lot of people thought it would have been. I think a lot of people are really glad that it went beyond just the fine. Yes. Uh, and obviously, you know, they were able to explain away a lot of their overspend. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you know, go listen to our thoughts on YouTube and overspend is an overspend regardless. But yeah, uh, they were able to, to kind of justify some of that. And so I think bringing it down makes a little bit of sense. And yeah. obviously, we weren't expecting the FIA to go win a battle with the team because when have they been known to, to stand firm in sport? So... Uh, I think not a, not a bad uh, solution in the end, but uh, I, I think a lot of people were hoping to see more just so this never happens again. Yeah, t- like like Tyler said, you know, go watch the YouTube video. It's, we definitely give more in-depth detail on it then, and so we'll, we'll leave it at that. But I think it's, you know, like you said, an overspend is an overspend, and it's they need new accountants is what it sounds like based on it. Also, it seems like they need new accountants. Certainly, maybe a pair. Yeah, maybe a pair of accounts. <laughs> um, so we'll go ahead and get into the rest of these. So I have a lot. So the theme for this week is feuds off the track. So we had a bunch of feuds off the track. So we'll start with kind of one that was more last week, and also because the other we have four listed on here because the other three I'm have very passionate about, and I'll, I'll kind of let you take this first one. Uh, yeah. So if you want to go ahead, go ahead and go over our first feud from kind of last week. Yeah. So kind of. In the later stages of last weekend, we had a pretty big Twitter feud breakout between Will Buxton and uh, kind of the Sky F1 crew. I think Martin Brundle's the one who actually does the track walk. So uh, technically with him, who during his track walk before the race had tried to flag down Brad Pitt, who was kind of the, the big guy at the race, the big celebrity yeah. at the race, obviously making a movie with Lewis Hamilton about Formula One. So uh, kind of all over the place. And Will Buxton had a list, uh, as he does for every race, that tells him kind of the talent listing of who's going to be there, what celebrities uh, notably are going to be there. And yeah. Brad Pitt was on there and listed as a do not disturb uh, whatever you know designation they give to, to an individual that doesn't want to be interviewed. And uh, after the race, decided to tweet out a notice to uh, just kind of you know his followers and say that another race weekend, another reminder that we get this list of who not to bother and i don't know why everybody's making a big stir that brad pitt did not want to be bothered uh, to which martin brundle responded and said this is simply not true please stop lying to to help yourself yeah uh, which caused quite the stir online yeah i mean it's i think what ended up happening for those who don't know is that it seemed like brundle and sky didn't get the list that buxton got and so he wasn't aware which I think is probably the case, right? Like, why would Brundle, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. Why would he interview someone that he knows doesn't want to be interviewed? I think he just goes out in that track walk and probably gets no information, just sees who he sees and tries to interview people. Uh, but, yeah, it did cause a lot of controversy where it was like, yeah, he ended up saying, like, don't try to lie about this to fit your agenda or something. So it was really interesting to see because I they are kind of on two different things. Like, Buxton's with, like, more so F1 TV and – you know, Brundle's with Sky Sports and kind of ESPN that side. So it was interesting to see that dynamic, but a really, a, a beef I did not expect to see Sunday. Yeah. And it didn't sound like it started there, which is, I, I think yeah. part of the interesting part for me, I have never known that there was kind of that beef. And I guess it makes sense coming from, you know, a company to a company. I think there's a lot of beefs just because you're in the same industry Yeah, and that F1 TV has kind of started to take over. And I think, that uh, Sky Sports isn't really getting the airtime that they would expect. Uh, Will Buxton did confirm that he actually does get a list, and it has all those listings. Uh, And it it did sound like only Will Buxton and the F1 TV crew get that. Yeah. uh, I think there was a lot of 
other announcers that came out and said, you know, Sky F1's right here, you know, that doesn't exist. But yeah, Will Buxton apologized for not knowing and also proved that, that it did exist. So yeah, uh, maybe he'll be nice enough to forward that on to Sky F1. Uh, yeah, just a simple forward. That's all. That's all he has to do is just forward it along. You can even text it to him. He could just, send, he could just text Brundle the list if he don't interview these people today. That's certainly true. Yeah. Well, we, ha- we had another Twitter yeah. beef, if you want to go ahead and bring that one up. Yes, so Alonzo and Hamilton had an all-time funny... Well, it started as off Twitter, so uh, this is going to... Obviously, it's going to sound biased coming from me, because like, you guys know I'm not, not a huge Alonzo fan, but he, for no reason, I don't know why he even felt the need to say this, he gets interviewed, and he just randomly says, basically, like, yeah, uh, I think Max's two championships are way more valuable than Lewis's seven championships because Lewis only had a racist teammate, which is so ironic in many facets. First off, Max only had a racist teammate this year too. Like I know at the beginning of the season, the Ferraris were there, but like they were never really there. Like as soon as Max started winning races, he, it was just, was Perez maybe going to interfere with that, but it was never a contest this season. It was never like he was battling anything else. He had won every race, you know, convincingly. And like, it was not a difficult thing, right? Like, so he, and then, you know, if we look back at last year, how everything ended last year, like, you know, our thought, both of our thoughts on that and how that ended. And like, there's always going to be that stand on that anyways. So like, just a wild thing to say from that. And then also to try to say that two is more valuable than seven. I don't care if Lewis was racing against air. It was, it's still five more championships than Max has right now. And not saying Max can't possibly get there, but like, it was just a wild statement to make from Alonzo and there was no need for him to make it. And then... Later that night on Twitter, Lewis, just an all-time hilarious comeback, just post a picture of him on a podium with Alonzo when they were on the same team and him like basically putting his hand on Alonzo's shoulder when Lewis was P1 and Alonzo was P2. Just an absolute troll move. Oh, yeah. And so many people loved it, and I thought it was... It was pretty funny. You know, I loved the fact that he just put a little thumbs up there. Yeah, nothing elaborate else. on it and just, you know, let that be out there, and I think that was part of the funny part of yeah. it because... As Alonzo, you can't really respond to that. That yeah. just puts you in a really no. awkward spot. But, I mean, even if you think about it, Hamilton raced against Nico Rosberg, who yes. is another world champion. champion. And beat him twice. And exactly. The third time, and if, you think, if people that are new listeners don't really know, like, he lost by five points only, and, you know, he had that extra where his engine blew up in Malaysia in 2016. And he had more race wins, and he had more pulls, and, like, all those other stats than Rosberg did that season anyway. So, like... He really barely lost it, but yeah, he battled Rosberg, and then, I mean, it's it's just a weird, weird thing to say, and then, like, if you go back to, like, he posted the picture of him and Alonso, like, Hamilton's a rookie in 2007, Alonso's a back-to-back world champion, and he outperforms Alonso, so, like, what, I think this is where all that stems from, is Alonso just has beef with him from that, and he's just salty about that to this day, because... I know there's been when I first started getting to Formula One, I used to always read stuff about like, oh, like you know, Hamilton's rent free in Alonso's head, and I always wondered like why that was, but this that has to be the reason. Yeah, and it continues kind of Alonso's bridge burning uh, fiasco as he yes as he gets closer and closer to leaving the sport. I don't know how much I can say that with confidence because yeah. it sounds like he wants to go forever, but as he gets older in his career, not looking like he's going to continue his winning form. You know, he's continuing to burn bridges with Alpine, who uh, have offered him a a great seat for the past two years, Uh, burning bridges with a lot of his fellow drivers. Mm. And yeah, uh, it's just a really tough look for 
for him, but uh, really funny for a lot of fans. Yeah, it's big, and we've talked about this before. It's big, like, old man yells at clouds vibes with him this year, where he's just, like, complaining about everything, getting into arguments with everybody, like, burning all these bridges. Like, it's just not – it's not a good look. And the Hamilton one is so tough because it's not – I mean, he has no argument, no place to talk. Like, there's no – it's it's all just stems from him being beat out that one year and just – I don't know. It's just tough to see. And then, yeah, Hamilton with that – simple comeback and then uh, i think they interviewed lewis uh, around, like after he tweeted it basically like what are your thoughts on that he's like i have no thoughts on it like just that's why i just gave the thumbs up that's what he said it's like he didn't even get into it either yeah and he gave a lot of you know good comments there i think yeah not a lot of comments specifically about this but he also said you know i like to give praise a yeah. lot of times and uh it seems like alonzo's kind of on the opposite track and yeah. i think uh that alonzo seems to be just bothered all the time, hot yes. and bothered by something, whether it's his engine blowing up or if it's, you know, Hamilton just, you know, existing. being good at racing. Simply yeah. existing. <laughs> and then Hamilton just simply does not care. You no, know, he does not care at all. Well, he knows, like, he talked about the interview. He's like, I know what I've accomplished, so I don't need someone to, like, critique that. Yeah. Um, so the next one we have on here is Red Bull and Sky F1. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. This was... A very interesting beef. So, for those of you guys that didn't catch it, it kind of came out on Twitter last week. On Monday and Tuesday, kind of after the race, this video surfaced of uh, Ted Kravitz uh, walking the pit lane with Sky and basically saying out loud repeatedly many times, like, oh, you know, this is where, like, you know, Lewis got robbed of this championship last year. He should be an eight-time world champion. Like, basically saying all these things about the championship last year, kind of out loud and, like, wow, he's a lot on live TV. Um, which I'll start there in, in, in defense Red Bull here. Like there was just, there was no need for him to even say all that. Cause like whatever happened last year happened, like everyone knows how last year ended. No, I mean, everyone knows how last year ended, right? Like I used Tyler just made a face to me, but like everyone knows how last year ended. Like we know what happened. We know, I mean, I, besides Max fans, everyone's in agreement on what happened and how it affected Hamilton. But so it was a wild statement for him to say all that like openly on TV knowing that he was going to get this backlash. But then, to me, the wild thing out of all of this is Red Bull's response to this. So Horner comes out saying everyone on Red Bull is going to boycott, you know, Sky Sports and, like, interviews. You know, Max says, I'm going to boycott, you know, this is this is bad for the sport. Like, I'm just ridiculous, all this stuff. And then Max comes out and says, this just makes Formula 1 more toxic, which is honestly one of the most ironic statements ever because you could make the argument that Red Bull and Max last year were the most toxic combination in the history of the sport for one season. They complained every week about something. They constantly, you know, cried and moaned about whatever Lewis and Mercedes were doing. They were bad sports at every turn. Like it was as toxic as it last year was as toxic as it gets. And for them to then come out and say this year that some random interviewer saying that Lewis got robbed of his title is making the sport so toxic to the point where they can't inter- like they won't take interviews with him anymore. Like it's just kind of babyish. Like it's just like it's childish. Like I get that you're like you can even say to him, like, hey, like, we disagree with this, like this is a stupid comment for him, but like to be like run away with run away from it basically, like it's just weird to me. Red Bull and Horner's comments as of late have been given me big pity city vibes. Yes. You know, they're they're talking about how you know, it's not good for the sport. Uh, it hurts our feelings. You know, our kids are getting bullied. Yeah. All the, all these things that they're bringing up are just a way for them to distract off of, you know, the like what's being investigated, what the yes. off-track talk really is uh, about the sport. And I think 
it, it's kind of showing a little bit what their, you know, what their goal is, is to just be a brand, be a reputation and just continue these, this winning when it wasn't going well for them last year, they were the first ones to be that toxic yeah. environment in the sport and, and, you know, have those conversations. And now all they want to do is, is kind of be just pitiful and it's, it's a tough look. Yeah, it's it's just an it's just an it's frustrating because, like you said, it's after how last year went and everything, just the way they're reacting to this, where they're playing the pity card after they, you know, were very fortunate to the way last season ended, and then built a great car this year and everything, and they're just trying to basically distract away from the scandal they had with the cause crap breach, and then from this thing, they're just trying to not by Kravitz saying this, then everybody, you know. Hardcore Formula One fans and people that watch part of the time are always going to remember that, and not going to forget it. But for people that are more casuals and hear that, or maybe didn't know what happened last year, you're going to go and see that. So that just puts more eyeballs, more eyeballs on it. And like, then you have Red Bull wanting to distract from that, like, oh, like we don't want people knowing how last year ended because like they know how it ended themselves. So like, it's just a big ploy from them to distract from everything that's going on. But it's just really ironic for Max to be like. This is making the sport so toxic after him and Horner and the entire Red Bull team were as toxic as you could possibly be in a sport. And I will also say, you know, we might be a little bit biased as not the biggest, you know, Red Bull fans, but all of the sentiment out of social media that I've seen is more joy over the fact that they don't have to listen to Horner be on the Sky F1 broadcast. (laughs) And, you know, as a Sky F1 listener last year for, for all of last year's season, listening to Horner on the pit wall was really just annoying. And I think a lot of other fans shared that sentiment. And now that, that they're putting this boycott on and, you know, it's indefinite, it kind of just opens up those fans from having to hear more and more of this, you know, complaints, just Horner and yeah, just complaints every race, you know, woe is me going in to every single weekend. Uh, I always get it where, and I don't follow him, but I always get it on like, the Explorer page on Instagram where his posts will pop up. And sometimes I read some of them, and he'll do this long recap of the race, basically like that it was a miracle they were able to win the race. I'm like, all right, like you could have the best car, like you're. Let's let's not. You can't. You gotta at some point when you start winning, you have to stop playing the pity card. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing I thought about with this with this is really interesting with them making the toxic comments and everything is the switch in besides Red Bull and Max fans themselves, the switch in how like everyone views the top teams. I feel like 20 or at the beginning of Mercedes dominant run, people were like, Oh, this is cool. Like they're kind of dominating. This is cool to see. And then after like a year or two, people got sick of it and they kind of became, you know, more so 18, 19 and 20, like the evil villains of the sport where it was like, they just dominate everything. Like we're sick of seeing them win. Uh, like it's annoying. They're just so much better. And Red Bull somehow last year, even though Mercedes was very good last year too, and won the constructors last year, somehow managed to be so toxic and be so, like complaining stuff like that, that they completely did a 180 on that. Where I feel like outside of Red Bull, no one really likes Red Bull. Like outside of Red Bull fans, like which is what you had before, where it's like outside of Mercedes fans, everyone wanted to see them like be, get dethroned. Red Bull was good for one year, didn't even win the constructors, and people were like, I'm sick of this. Like this is, this is so annoying. They're so, like, I think it's just like all of them got like a big head when they had one good season and then. It's and I feel like it's so different from you know they had the four straight titles with Vettel in the in the early 2010s. I don't feel feel like people viewed them like this. I don't remember Horner from interviews and stuff I'm seeing being this bad. I know he was somewhat toxic and there was somewhat, but I, I don't know if you agree with me. I feel like that this is like whole new levels in the past two years where it's like out unless you are 
actually a Red Bull fan, like no one likes any of them. Yeah, I think it certainly is. And I think a lot of it is because of everything that's going off, going on off yeah. track and how much, you know, speculation there's been about, you know, last year's championship and, and how they operated last year. And I think a lot of this, you know, they're having to come out every weekend and say something else that'll be the headlines yeah. rather than, you know, what it has been without those comments. So uh, anyway, really tough between the two. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, you know, funny more than anything. Oh, yeah, it's to, hilarious. To see these feuds going on. And uh, our last one here is uh, my co-host here, Alex. Yes. And James Hitchcliffe. Yeah, James Hitchcliffe. So um, for those of you that watch ESPN, you're not going to really know about this. It's all pretty much on F1 TV, but um, <laughs> Tyler just moved his mic because he doesn't have anything to say. Um, so I don't know why, but this James Hitchcliffe, they brought, we talked about it a little last week. So Hitchcliffe raced some in IndyCar, really no F1 experience though. They brought him in for these last couple races. And I think you agree with me here. It's just awkward. Like, it's just awkward in the box. I feel like we've talked about it where, like, they talk over each other all the time, and there's really no flow. I prefer when it's the class. I want Buxton, Julian Palmer, and Sam Collins all together up there, and then you get all three perspectives. You have Buxton's great at color commentary and just telling what's happening. Julian Palmer raced in Formula 1 for several, I don't know, 30, 40-something races he raced in Formula 1, has the experience. He provides that analysis, and then Sam Collins is the tech analysis. And it really flows, and they really work well together. James Hitchcliffe, he, what it, he didn't race in Formula One, so he doesn't pride in there. So they always will turn to him and ask him his thoughts on something, and he'll either repeat what Buxton said, repeat what everyone in the general public who's watching already knows or is obvious, or say something that is completely wrong, or like like we talked about Elastic, where it's like it feels jinxy. Like he'll be like, he'll be like, uh, yeah, like like this race he did it where as soon as Max started on the softs for the entire first stint. I think Mercedes has a big advantage. Like, this should be an easy win for Mercedes. Like, this should be an easy one, too. They should coast to this. And then he flipped immediately, and he realized that it was a flip. Like, the strategy was going to work more in favor. Flipped the complete opposite way. And Mercedes is really in the back foot here. Like, they got this totally wrong. Just stating the obvious stuff. It's just really awkward. He's like, has some really awkward moments where it'll, like, like, Buxton will start talking. And normally, when he finishes talking, like, Julian or Sam fills in perfectly. There'll be this big pause where, like, James says nothing. And then it's it's just really awkward. I don't know why he just the way he says Grand Prix, where he's like the Grand Prix. I'm or, or what did he say this weekend too? That was not I forget what it was. Maybe you remember where we I texted you about it. Where it's like he's not British, but he said he called something Zed. Oh yeah, Zed. Yeah. So he was going over like saying something with like the alphabet or whatever, and he called Z Zed. X Y Z. X Y Z. Which like that's a British thing. Like that's fine, but like. He's 100% American. Like, there was just no reason. He was just playing into the Zed thing and then the Grand Prix thing. And I don't know why he just really irks me. Like, he just, like, it just annoys me. And he's just really awkward in the commentary box. And just, I, you know, he tweeted something after this. And, like, Buxton's like, yeah, it's been great to have you. Like, can't wait for the rest of the season. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Well, like, he's, the feedback they're getting has to be terrible. Like, he's, he stinks. Like, he's just, I, it's nothing against the man. Like, I'm sure he'd be great in IndyCar. But, like, it just makes no, like, they had such a great flow. Like, why did we get rid of that to have this? I'm sure there's a reason Julian Palmer hasn't been there. And like, that's why is like, he had something going on where they had to bring this guy in. But like, I, I almost would rather him just not have him at all and just have Buxton and Sam Collins up there. Yeah. I'll let you take a little deep breath here and, and I'll give, <laughs> give my quick thoughts here. I think it, it is, it is kind of awkward. I, yeah. I will, I will say that. I think, uh, having Hitchcliffe and Will Buxton in, in the commentary box this week was was really awkward because it always felt like 
Hitchcliffe was just overstepping yes. kind of kind of where his welcome, you know, segment was supposed to lie. And it always feels like he moves from whatever thought he gets asked about into the color commentary where where Will Buxton seems to be, you know, the role for that. And it's yeah. it's tough because as an American, you know, I want an American presenter, but it's oh yeah. It's almost weird at this point. It just feels you know, weird, yeah. We've been watching Formula One for so many years and all you hear is, you know, British voices doing the English for the most part and it's you know it's just kind of ingrained now that when you're watching formula one it's like a british centralized thing and then you know obviously we don't want that to be always the case and we want some diversity here but when you have somebody come in as an american who a lot of times is is thought of as like more rowdy and everything to be to be overstepping your bounds like that it gets it really it really does irk us a little bit and, and it is kind of tough to listen to i know there was multiple instances throughout the race and throughout, you know, free practice and qualifying sessions that, you know, Will Buxton and James Hitchcliffe would say a sentence that were two different sentences, but at the exact same time. Oh yeah. And you end up just losing commentary time because of it. And then it happens over and over. And, you know, these, I'm um, sorry for interrupting or, you know, these things that were very short and sweet and, and simple and respectful yeah. with the old, you know, kind of three or four are, are now just like more drawn out or, or more loud than they would be and are necessary. And uh, it's just kind of tough to listen to at times. Yeah. And I think the other weird thing that I think I texted you about this, I, I got a weird vibe where like Hitchcliff wanted to fight Sam Collins. Yeah. They oh, got yeah. in so many arguments about the tech and the tire strategy. And I'm like, I like Hitchcliff was saying the obvious stuff. Like you could start to tell like, Oh, they're doing the one stop. Like everyone can start to tell that. But I I'm like Hitchcliff. It's not the tech is Sam's zone, not yours. Yeah. He's just reading what the data is saying. He's not giving, like he's going to try to be, he's not going to be subjective. He's going to be objective on it. Like here's what the data is saying. Here's what I think because of the data I've been doing this way longer than you. And he'd like getting arguments about the tires with him. And I was like, this is just so uncomfortable. Cause like yeah. it got to a point like during quality and then during the race somewhere it was like, Oh, are these two like about to get like a verbal argument like in the press box? Like yeah. it was that weird. Yeah, it kind of constantly feels like a challenge. Yes. You know? and, and oh yeah, it feels like Hitchcliffe is is it. I I don't think he thinks he is, but like to me watching, it's like oh this guy's fighting for his life in yeah. the commentary box. And kind of similar to last year, Sam Collins was kind of the same way as Julian, who after Hitchcliffe will talk, then they'll cut over to to the next presenter, whoever's going to speak next, and yeah. then. They just kind of have to disregard what was just said. Like, yeah. You know, some of it was just so off base. And then you come in and you're like, I don't agree with that. But you can't like start a fight. Yeah, like, you can't start an argument on yeah. air. So you have to like try to pivot without making it sound super awkward. But anyways, that was my rant on that. Just I don't know why he just so he just frustrates me. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that feel the same. It's just like really gets on me where it's like we had this nice thing going. Like, why are we answering this dude? It'd be one thing if like. He had Formula One experience, and, like offered different insight, but he's literally just—it's just a battle with him and Buxton to who can get the color commentary in at this point. Yeah, and I think more than anything, you know, we should preface this podcast has now had two beefs with uh, two different presenters. Yeah, I'm, I'm more Hitchcliffe, and then you're a big anti-Tom guy. And I think the majority of it stems from the fact that we just want to see Sam Collins, Julian Palmer, and Will Buxton yes. do it. It's—they are. They the are best. an They're incredible the trio, yes. and they have they each bring something really good to the table, and it's just a lot of fun to listen to them talk. Yes. So, uh, you know, I think more than anything, we kind of miss that, and somebody else coming in has something different or, yeah. or doesn't have something that was offered by 
the previous three. And so yeah. uh, it just makes it harder and harder to listen to. It would be like for football fans out there, it would be like Saturday night you're watching college football and you turn on the Saturday night game on ABC. And instead of it being in the booth, instead of it being Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet, they get rid of Kirk Herbstreet and they bring someone in who did a little bit of time covering college basketball. And they said, you know what? Let's throw him in the college football box with Chris Fowler. I bet it would be the same as Kirk Herbstreet. And it just would be awkward. It would just be weird. Yeah, You guys have a field or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it would go. And you just get talking over each other and it would. It, that's, that's what we're going through right now. Yeah, it is kind of tough. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see... I guess not next weekend because it sounds like Hitchcliffe, yeah. will, Hitchcliffe will be in Abu Dhabi. But uh, going forward, you know, hopefully we can return to the to, to the, the OG three. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the only other thing we had on here was uh, I forget if this was you can remind me. If this is during qual. I think this is during quali. It might have been during practice. I think it might have been practice actually. No, it was practice. It was earlier in the week. It was earlier in the weekend where Mercedes pit crew member was putting the car up basically and just completely crunched the front wing. It was really weird to see because he, he put it up the same way you'd normally put the car up, but the car just didn't go up and the whole front ring just snapped. Yeah, I think they had the back of the car up and so it was pitched a little bit differently yeah. than it normally would be and, and he went to you know raise it all the way up on the front jack and uh, it just pushed into the car and cracked and you know we didn't Which get is, to see what happened after that, but yeah, rough to watch. Live. It was really interesting though, like, all he did was just go like this, and he completely snapped the front wing. And we've seen incidents like, I don't know, you, I know it's different front wings this year, but you look back at, like, uh, Jetta last year when Lewis ran into the back of Max, and, like, it took off, like, the right end plate, and that's it, and he was able to set fastest laps after that. Or, like, the incidents we've had this year on track where, like, someone just loses a little plate. But this guy just simply pushing up on it, like, completely cracked the whole wing. Yeah, it was really gives you an insight into how brittle these cars yeah. can be. and. Uh, how many little pieces it, it takes to make a really good car. Yeah, so I guess any, uh, you know, before we go head off to our next race, any any final thoughts on, on Mexico? Uh, you know, hopefully we can get a better race next year. I think uh, strategy will be a little bit more important. Uh, love the atmosphere still. Oh, still yeah, a awesome great, atmosphere. Just Formula One weekend. You know, the circus is yes. a great way to describe it, but uh, what a great what a great circus to watch. And, I will add the the Formula One podium celebrations that took oh, place afterwards yeah. were incredible. The and raise they, up on the car is sweet. The raise up on the car. They raised up each driver this year, yeah. and they also raised up the DJ booth afterwards for the yes. party that they started, and it was all uh, just an awesome race and really makes me jealous that I can't be down there. Yes, yeah, it's an awesome race. I think the, the atmosphere and everything is great. Just hopefully the on-track action is better next year. But, you know, we're off to Brazil now. One of, probably my favorite track. I think we went over this in the thing. I think either Brazil or or uh, Silverstone are probably my two favorites. Uh, obviously, last year we had one of the best weekends of the year in Brazil. Absolutely. In terms of just on track action and drama and everything that happened, so hoping it lives up to that again this year and can you know get close to that. But an awesome, awesome weekend last year. And I one of my favorite races. I think it's a great track. There's always great racing there. Super high speed. Uh, another one that has a great atmosphere, yeah. uh, you know, obviously with, with Lewis being a citizen there now or, and, you know, him loving being there and winning so much there, it's it's going to be exciting to see that. And then just kind of how everything shakes out with, you know, how these cars change from performance-wise from Mexico to Brazil because they're very two very different tracks. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see it. I think it'll be a little different than last year. I, yeah. I don't think it'll be too much of a challenge with 
especially how fast of a track it was or will be, like you said. And uh, I think the Red Bulls will have a little bit of an advantage. But, you know, if you think about it and the Mercedes can turn the wick up a little bit and and really run those power units, hopefully we'll be able to have a good fight on our hands. And uh, even the Ferraris making it back into the mix will be a lot of fun. And then obviously, like we touched on earlier, so many implications all up and down the standings, uh, team standings for for where these teams can finish. So we'll see who can sneak into the points and uh, give their team a little bit more of a boost before we go into the finale yep we'll see you in brazil sounds good adios